This is Jim Semivan, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. I'd like to thank Laird Superfood for sponsoring this episode. My nutrition has changed a lot over the last year since I decided to look after myself a little bit more, not just for me, but my family too. One constant though is my coffee, and you'll know I'm a big coffee lover. It's not just part of my morning, but my daily routine. Laird Superfood and their creamers have been a bit of a game changer for me and taking my coffee game to a whole new level. It's the perfect way to not only fuel your morning, but your whole day with organic, natural, plant-based ingredients. And for me as a diabetic, there is no sugar from highly refined coffee corn syrup. There's also a huge variety of snacks and protein options for you to try, all made with plant-based ingredients to keep you charged for whatever life takes you. Are you ready to feel more energised, focused and supported? Go to lairdsuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunset to sunrise. Use promo code THATUFO at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. Andy here with a bonus show to round off the week or the start of the week depending on where you're going to listen to this. I have joining me for this one the director of the Experiencer Group, co-host on Witness Citizen Podcast with Sean Rash and co-founder of the Inquiry into Anomalous Experiences Conferences. And of course I've got to add in former guest on the podcast, Jay Christopher King. Jay, welcome back. It's so great to be here, Andy. It's so wonderful to see you again. It's good to get you on to chat about the conference in plenty of time before it kicks off. Jay, just for anyone who hasn't heard you on this podcast or another show before, give us a little bit of your background because you've you've done and are doing quite a lot within the UFO topic. Well, thanks, Andy. And, you know, I, I was just thinking before we came on here, you know, you were one of the first interviews that I ever did after I kind of came out of the closet. I'd been, I'd been working for a while um, uh, in... Uh, leading support groups for fellow anomalous experiencers. And I'd also been like helping doing background research and assisting uh, Richard Dolan, the researcher with his, with his uh, members site. And, um, and actually it was, it was in, gosh, I guess it was September of 2021. It feels like forever ago, but it's really not um, that, um, that Ralph Blumenthal wrote about me, the experiencer group, and some of the other members of the experiencer group for an article that was originally pitched for the New York Times. It narrowly got rejected um, from some kind of editorial disagreement, and it was eventually published in the debrief. And um, that was kind of like my coming out party. And I think we met a few weeks after that. Mm. And um, it had been like kind of a dicey period of time for me before that, because like I'd already co-founded the experiencer group with Stuart Davis and, and Kirsten Blackburn. And, um, and I was kind of navigating this difficult space of being a private, not public figure, not a public experiencer while facilitating like a whole kind of private members community. So the experiencer group, for those that don't know, is a private member site dedicated to support curiosity and community for people who've had anomalous events of any and all kinds. So that could be UAP experiencers, experiencers of non-human intelligence, uh, out-of-body, near-death experiencers, precognition, the list goes on and on. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a place, it's a social media site, so there's kind of an activity feed and things like that. And the kind of center locus for the activity is actually Zoom uh, Zoom groups that we do very, very frequently. So we've had over 225 events just in the last two years alone. 
support meetings, book clubs, ask me anything sessions, uh, uh, a, a regular thing that we do every two months called current events and anomalous culture. The last one that we did uh, was with Axo Academian and and Daniel Elizondo, who goes by Omega Point sometimes on Twitter, the co-author of Loose Threads. Before that, we had the wonderful Dan Zetterstrom and uh, Sean Rosh guesting on current events and anomalous culture. So the members can get together with prominent people in the community to just talk about what's going on, things like that. We also have a dream study group, a, a group dedicated to ex- experience, experiments and experiences related to the uh, Monroe Institute protocols. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like out of body astral stuff, things like, uh, and many, many other kind of situations where people can get together and have an excuse to compare notes um, with regard to the different kinds of modalities that, that come into play when we're talking about anomalous experiences. I regularly get listeners getting in touch with me to say they've had an experience of they don't know where to turn to they don't know who to talk to what should they do and i'm not the guy to talk to for that but what i tend to do is send them send them your way in towards the group and i've never had anyone come back to say they've had a bad experience doing that so if anyone is listening and feel they're looking for somewhere to reach out to i can't recommend jay and the other crew from the experiencer group enough and if you go back into the archives i've done a series of interviews jay at the time i spoke to you the first time with other members of the group um, and some who weren't part of the group just to talk about those different experiences uh over the course of a few shows which is really enlightening and interesting as well so not something i can ever attest to say i've had but it's always interesting to hear other people share those experiences so, Jay, fast forward to now, mm-hmm. yourself and James Iandoli from Engaging the Phenomenon podcast, former guest. James is always good to talk to. We text regularly as well. Uh, you have put on now, this is going to be your third conference. Thinking that it was first two, what have been some of the highlights for you and some of the kind of the names you've had? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's it's crazy to think about again. You know, our first conference in New York City was in October. Then we had our second in December. And now we're about to have our third in April. Uh, the first one, we had Gary Nolan uh, headlining. That was absolutely fantastic. He did a, I think it was like an 80-minute Ask Me Anything session with people in the audience and and uh, online. And that was kind of a surprise. People thought he was going to do a talk, but he was just mm-hmm. like, let's, let's just have a conversation. It made for a really, really unique event. Uh, Mitch Horowitz was also there. Darren King, who goes by Exo Academia and online. Uh, he was there, Dr. Tim Grieve Carlson. Um, it was a, it was an amazing program, and um, and for the second one, uh, it was really wild. We had Chris Millen headline. He was he was doing a fireside chat with Leslie Kane. Uh, Ralph Blumenthal was also there, and that was actually the first time that Leslie and Ralph had ever done a conference together. Uh, so that was a, a real honor and incredibly unique. We had Jeff Kripal, Whitley Strieber. It, it's Sharon Hewitt Rollett. It was it was a wonderful, wonderful experience, and so many great people in the audience. I mean, you could look around and see so many prominent people in the community, like like Randy Nickerson, uh, Mitch Horowitz showed up at the at the second one. Sean Esbjorn Hargens, um, who's a prominent academic regarding anomalous studies, so many great podcasters. Uh, uh, Zen uh, Dan Zetterstrom made it uh, overseas for for that one. And he's been over here ever since. 
I mean, look at that. You know, that was kind of the start of like a great journey for Dan. <laughs> yeah, you know? can't get him. So, uh, he's, uh, he's went from Mexico to Colombia and he's there for the Phenomenology series and Vinny Adams is going out there. Uh, Graham Rendell, I think, made the second one right. as well, didn't he? Yeah, I remember Graham went out. I was very jealous of those guys, but none of them have um, four children at home to deal with. So, uh, yeah. Very true. That, yeah, if I could sell one of those, um, that would be fantastic if anyone wants to get in touch to to fund a trip over. Um, what have you Absolutely. learned, Jay, doing these shows? Because you've done two, and I've got to be honest, mm-hmm. given your, your background in James's, neither of you were coming from massive, as far as I'm aware, public event organizing and you know putting all these types of huge deals on and getting guests in from all over. Mistakes must have been made, and what have you kind of learned from those first two? <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, you know, what some people may not know about me is that I actually, um, I have a history of working in television. And so I produced television series, uh, cable series, mainly for the Discovery Channel and its mm-hmm. subsidiary networks um, for the, for about, for basically my, the entire length of my 30s. And, um, and through that, through producing and writing television, because I was, I was essentially doing a lot of TV, like food TV, adventure TV, reality TV, um, nature television, a lot of shows that don't you typically credit their writers mm-hmm. um, because it's essentially non-fictional television and it's a way to evade kind of like union rules for paying writers. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was an uncredited writer on many of those shows and a credited producer on many of those shows, which would often mean that I was doing double duty. And so I'd be writing or rewriting an episode uh, with a small table full of people. And at the same time, I'd be going over and and trying to facilitate shoots. And so that would mean like, what's the location? What's the permitting for a location? How do we cast this? And many other situations like that, that actually weirdly fed into what we're doing now with the Inquire Anomalous uh, events. And so I was able to take like a lot of what I learned over about a decade of kind of like hustling shoots into Mm -hmm. play really quickly, especially ones that are happening like around New York City here, which is famously difficult. You know what I mean? New New York City shows up in TV and movies all the time. And because of that, it's one of the most difficult places to shoot in. There's so many permits and insurance considerations. And so let let me just add there, uh and I hate interrupting, but I I will attest it. And it's also so expensive to film in. You will find a lot of movies will fly to Glasgow. They will fly the actors, the sets, and they will make Glasgow city center in Scotland look like New York because it's cheaper to do that. Uh, Transformers, right. Indiana Jones, World War Z, um, the late the the, the, Batman, ba- the Flash, Batman, yeah, the Batman yeah. was largely all the horrible looking parts of Gotham were Glasgow and Liverpool, <laughs> essentially. Um, so yeah, I can attest to that because I noticed like, oh, that's not like a, a Delhi shop, that's a Greg's shop in Glasgow. So yeah, it's crazy <laughs> that it's so much cheaper to fly to a different continent and make the place well, look like New York. Well, I can I can also I have some some kinship with you then, because in movies like uh, The Joker, for example, um, not even getting outside of the Batman franchise. But I I actually live now in Jersey City. I lived in New York City, which is like right out the window here. I can I can see the 
the skyline out my window. But I lived over there and mainly in Brooklyn for about 16 years. And I've been over here for about six years now. But they use Jersey City as to look like the shite parts uh, uh, in, in the Joker and films and a lot of the Marvel series and things like that. And so we've got that we've got that kinship together nice. between Glasgow and Jersey City. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Any parts so, you see look like a dive, it's, it's there they are. But yeah, anyway, back to the, fact <laughs> the UFO stuff, yeah. Yeah, so um, what have I learned? I mean, there's been a lot that I've learned in terms of like the little BS in terms of like um, how like how taxes work with live events and like all, all these kind of like bizarre little loopholes that you have to kind of manage when dealing with this stuff and kind of like the the finance side of things, which is very, very difficult. And like my hat's off to anybody that, that works in the space and, and has to manage, you know, the accounts and things like that. And it's something, mm. it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of a dirty word when it comes to our, our profession or like our field of study, when it comes to anomalous studies, ufology, yeah. anything like that, there's, you know, as opposed to almost any other field of inquiry, it's somehow forbidden for people to talk about money or to, to make money in a situation uh, when they're doing this. And so apparently, you know, ufology and anomalous studies is, is, is only allowed to be done by hobbyists or people that are independently wealthy. And, you know, I think that that's, uh, I, th I think that that's frankly um, crap. You know, I think I don't I would use stronger language, but, you know, I know this is going out <laughs> and like and I, but like along those lines, you know, um, what else have I learned? There's a lot that I've learned in terms of like cross pollination. And maybe we'll get back to this later. But, you know, when James and I come up with like who's going to be speaking at these events, what what we've come to from the first one to this one is really like, how can we create like an exciting environment for the speakers themselves? Um, and so that people that are watching can actually kind of see and experience what happens when prominent thinkers in slightly different fields get together and learn from each other. Um, and we can get to that when we talk about the speakers for this one, but I, that's, that's been one thing that I think that has been like a really, like a big point of growth uh, between October and now for sure. Well, just before we get to the speakers list and what they're going to be bringing, I, I mentioned to you before we recorded, I had like a negative to bring up and I never told you what it was. Um, I'd like to hear your <laughs> honest answer. So um, I saw sure. a comment from someone when I was promoting the the event for you. I'm happy to retweet things for, you know, friends, colleagues and people like yourself who are putting stuff on that is going to be beneficial to, to people who want to take part join in and all that kind of stuff um and it's, it's it's a big undertaking for yourself and james and anyone who's doing it including I'll, I'll mention now kelly chase from ufo rabbit hole podcast is putting on an event uh similar to yourself in terms of it being smaller scale it's not a big expo it's not a big conference hall it's at right patterson and um, that's in mm -hmm. uh in july is that right am i getting that correct actually it's in may it's in may, may. ah okay mm -hmm. so there may. you go even mm -hmm. even sooner right around um, the corner yeah I'm going to be like retweeting that for her as well. And um, I think there's going oh, to be a sweet. competition for free tickets and stuff as well, but that'll come out soon. But excellent. These, these events remind me of concerts that people go to. I saw someone comment saying that when you turn up to one of these events, if you've heard the person on a podcast or do an interview, there's no point in going because you hear the same stuff over and over and over again. And for me, it's a little bit like going to see Adele. Everyone knows Adele, you know, the, 
international superstar. Yeah. People go to stadiums, 100,000 crowds to watch Adele sing. However, the shows that people really remember are the smaller, more intimate venues. If you get a chance to go to like a Las Vegas residency, if you get a mm-hmm. chance to go to the you know the Royal Albert Hall or some real mm-hmm. small intimate venue, you're you're closer. There's a couple of hundred of you in the room. They're singing to you. They're talking to you. They're making eye contact. And I think you see celebrities like that on those stages they open up more in a way they don't in front of a bigger crowd not that you don't enjoy those bigger performances but those intimate venues i think bring something completely different to those conversations and what do you think about that i completely agree you know like the events that we've put on we've we've never had a room that had up till this point that has more than 100 and capacity for more than 144 people and so it does create an enormous amount of intimacy. There's, you can approach many of these speakers between between talks. Um, you know, there's, it's crazy because like I each time James and I have to kind of like cat herd a lot between, uh, like at the ends of of these kind of segue segments because people are are getting up and they're talking to people like Chris Mellon or or Ralph or Whitley and things like that. And, um, you know, that is amazing to have that kind of interpersonal experience. But then there's also situations where, you know, so we're developing a, a bit of a reputation and, and in a way it's very good because folks like Leslie, for example, you know, are, are bringing kind of new research to their talks as well. And so, you know, she did a great job of kind of being a little bit quiet about it. And then once she got on the stage at our last conference, she revealed that she had been researching the Virginia uh, Brazil case um, for quite a while in, in massive depth. The same case that James Fox, of course, uh, documented uh, in Moment of Contact. Mm. So she was showing all sorts of records. She was showing all sorts of history and and really showing that she had been digging into that case herself. And, you know, for those that were present, yeah, I think that it was a bit of a jaw dropping moment. And for those attending online, it was a bit of a jaw dropping moment and seeing like, oh, gosh, you know, New York, you know, this person that's that's written so prominently for The New York Times and things like this is dealing with like a crash retrieval case that involves beings and things like this. And. And so, you know, that's, it's not the only situation where something like that has happened with our conferences thus far. And that, that's something that we look forward to continuing, uh, in, both in the event in, in, in April and in, in future events as well. Well, I know people at the last one also got to see some advanced preview, sneak preview of Leslie's documentary series that has since aired um, over in the US as well, still to come out in the UK. So again, like you say, that kind of personal intimate touch is something that if you're attending um, is fantastic, but also people get to view it online as well, just to remind you folks that if you're listening to this and think, I'd love to get to New York, but can't make it, then there are limited, and it is, I'm not just saying limited, but there's actually 50,000, there are limited live stream tickets available to 500 that's, that's right 500 yeah. yeah there's 500 live stream tickets and there's for this next one there's only 100 total tickets for the in-person and right now there is five there are five in-person tickets left right now so whoever's listening right now to that ufo podcast from this airs you know get on it as soon as possible if you if you'd like to make it and those those 500 live streams um will likely go as well you know i mean uh, the the sooner you get to those the better i we want to create like we want to ensure a, a quality experience and sometimes you'll you'll get on 
a live cast or something like that. And, and the chat is just that it's impossible to engage. It's impossible to really kind of get involved or feel heard in some of these situations because so many people are in the chat. And we really wanted to make a situation where we were sure that, that people could participate. And so mm. we're, we're creating more time between speakers for Q&A segments, more and more each time, so that, so that uh, people that are attending online uh, can participate in the Q&As as well. And we're making sure that we have kind of like the tech available uh, and the, the hands on deck available to make sure that, that their questions and their, and their viewpoints are heard both in the room and to the speakers um, involved as well. So well, it, it's, it's going to be a pretty unique experience. Tickets have been on sale now for a couple of weeks for the event. That's why there's only five left of the in-person tickets. Uh, and also there's not 500 left of the live stream tickets, put it that way. The, right. the event takes place on Saturday, the 8th of April from 11.30 a.m. That's Eastern time, 7.30 p- to 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, That's right. Let's talk about some of the guests then you've got at this one. Oh, sure. Uh, I'll let you take your pick first, and I'll be honest, there's a couple of guests that I'm not too familiar with, but there's a fantastic spread of guests across this as well. I don't think you could look at any two and go, ah, well, those both do the same thing. I'd like to thank Paperlike for sponsoring this episode. I've had my Paperlike on the iPad now for a few months and wonder already how I ever done without it. One of the biggest differences for me is how much better the iPad screen looks. The reflection without the Paperlike on long train journeys or in the office was pretty bad. But now watching movies and TV shows is a far more pleasant experience. There just isn't that shine bouncing off the screen. Taking notes and writing podcast shows is also transformed. As it feels like it says, I am writing onto paper thanks to the nano dot technology tiny microbeads designed to add superior stroke precision when you drag the apple pencil across the screen perfect for designing your next hobby balloon to be shot down by the u.s military i kid paperlike is perfect for anyone who owns an ipad and an apple pencil it's a must have they really should put it in with ipads i'd love to see them get that kind of deal you do get a set of two when you buy it so you always have the spare it's genuinely made me use my ipad more than i did before so it's given my existing technology a brand new lease of life to pick up your paperlike head over to paperlike.com forward slash that ufo click buy paperlike and select your ipad size so if you're ready to do more with your ipad head over to paperlike.com forward slash that ufo to get started yeah i mean okay so so in part one thing that that is kind of an underlying theme that that is taking place with with this event in april is um that in part we're celebrating leslie's new show the new show that that's premiered on national geographic here in the states it's also on hulu and will be showing up on disney plus if it hasn't already um, UFOs investigating the unknown. And we actually have four speakers um, uh, f- that were featured talking heads on that show that are going to be showing up in April. Um, one of those is Derek Pitts. Now, a lot of people haven't in our space in Anomalous Study will have not heard of Derek Pitts, but Derek Pitts, he's, he's the chief ex- astronomer and director of the Fells Planetarium at the Franklin Institute. And this is going to be kind of his, his first talk his first lecture within the anomalous studies space um, after having appeared in that show. Notably, uh, Derek used to be a skeptic and he's, he's prominently featured on, on news channels here in the States. And 
for example, back when the Chicago O'Hare uh, incident happened where there was a mass UFO sighting above above O'Hare Airport. He was brought on to many cable networks at the time to say like, oh, it was probably just a trick of an atmospheric trick and things like that. After that happened, later after that happened, he read Leslie's book, uh, UFOs, Pilots, Generals, Government Officials Go on the Record, and it totally shifted his paradigm. And he and he became a proponent of really looking at these for, at UAP issues from a scientific perspective. And so since then, he's carried on a dialogue with her and with other people in the field privately and is now kind of coming out of the shadows as somebody who is who is another uh, a, a prominent astronomer like Avi Loeb, who's really interested and dedicated to these issues now. So um Though people may not have heard of him, it'll be exciting to hear such a great science communicator showing up to our event and and kind of coming coming out as as somebody that's interested in these issues as well. We also have Ryan Graves, mm-hmm. of course. You know, so many people in the space will know Ryan, uh, partially from Leslie and Ralph's series of articles that kind of exposed him to the public and via the New York Times years ago. He's also you know the host of the the new podcast merged which prominently features uh other uh, aircraft pilots and people involved in aviation and dealing with uap issues um and yeah ryan was the first active duty uh person to come forward publicly about regular sightings of uap off uh, the east coast so and ryan doesn't do many conferences either so it's another opportunity to to rub elbows and hang out and and be around uh, for people that don't normally show up um, to every expo and convention or conference that happens in this space. And Ryan Graves is probably the most handsome man in podcasting at the moment. So if anyone hasn't seen me <laughs> and wants to know what I look like, uh, just imagine Ryan Graves, just slightly less yeah. muscular. Um, but yeah, he's 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 done really well. And uh, he's he's been a prominent talking head in many a documentary since, you know, 2017, really onwards as well. Um and he's kind of come into his own talking to, like you say, fellow pilots, scientists, mm-hmm. and others. So that's a, a real catch for you because he speaks really well. And I, I joke about how handsome he is, but he's he's very aesthetically pleasing on the eye for a TV network. So this is why he does the rounds on Fox, CNN, ABC, NBC, because he, he looks the part, but he also talks the part. He's very highly qualified. And he speaks very well on the topic. So he's a very good advocate, I think, for the subject and a really good get for the conference too. Oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to having them there. It's going to be awesome. And just my interactions with him thus far have been fantastic. He's a great guy. And I I really look forward to having them there. And Um, on that, I'll I'll introduce the next one for you because speaking of Ryan Graves being a handsome man, James Fox looks eerily like my dad. And I'm not joking. So every time I interview (laughs) James, I, I had to say to him once that you're just very very similar to how my dad looks and it's a uh, it's eerie so looking at his picture just now which is slightly shrunk on my screen it's like my dad's kind of looking at me very odd one folks but yeah sorry carry on james fox very serious director and producer of course oh absolutely and we're honored because james james has shows up to conferences and events sometimes but he has been actually been filming recently and so he's actually going to be kind of taking a break from filming to join us which will be awesome and one thing that's going to be unique about james's time is that he's he's actually going to be doing like last time we had a a, a fireside chat a, a dialogue between leslie and christopher mellon um which was a really unique experience and th- for this one we're going to have leslie 
and James Fox together. And considering they've both have been uh, privately and publicly working the Virginia case and other and other uh, and other prominent cases that that may come into play that day, uh, it'll be a really unique situation to to watch the two of them. Uh, have a back and forth and involve the audience in the situation there. But, you know, for those, I'm sure most of your audience know, but, you know, he's, James Fox has done prominent uh, TV projects for Discovery, Sci-Fi, National Geographic, History Channel. He's got his films, The Phenomenon, which is huge, which landed him on Joe Rogan and other places, uh, including your podcast. Um, uh, Moment of Contact, I Know What I Saw, Out of the Blue. Uh, He was... uh, an incredibly precocious kid um, assisting his father, who is also a journalist mm. and investigator. Uh, his uh, A lot of people don't know this, but James Fox's dad was actually uh, a journalist and also a paraplegic. And so James's dad needed assistance in, in, in doing his investigations and doing his interviews. And, um, and that's kind of how James did the on-the-job training that got him to where he is today. Do you know what I love about James? And I hope he, he appreciates where this comes from when I say it. And I'm sure he will. Of all the people you interview, most of the time people get frustrated that they won't leave their standard narrative or line of questioning. I always get the impression that James, in the right mood and with the right questions, always likes to push the envelope a little bit of what he knows or what he thinks. And someone like Leslie talking to him in that kind of intimate setting Maybe it's a bit late in the day. A couple of couple of whiskeys or scotches down. The <laughs> James, I think, has got the 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 potential to to loosen his tongue a little bit on some of the things he talks about. So that's that's what I would look forward to. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, he's going to be answering questions. And so, uh, anybody attending online or in person, just a reminder, you know please attend and bring your a game bring your best questions because james fox is going to be there to answer them as well as leslie absolutely and next up elizabeth crone yes Uh, and this is this is another person elizabeth who many people in our space may not know but this is one thing that's unique about what james and i are trying to do which is really putting people out there that need that are really helpful people for the conversation and uh elizabeth crone uh, is a near-death experiencer. She actually she was struck by lightning and almost died in a parking lot, and 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 she had a a, a very wild paradigm-shifting experience for her worldview during that experience and afterwards, and um, and eventually she met uh, Jeff Kripal. and Jeff Kripal, of course, of of Rice University fame, of Archives of the Impossible fame, uh, <laughs> uh, a unstated but very active member of the Invisible College, if it's still invisible anymore. And uh, Elizabeth, it turned out, after she was struck by lightning, she started having precognitive experiences, precognitive dreams, um, including um, uh, including situations of airplane crashes. And so, you know, a lot of people, they write, sometimes they write these things in their dream journals or whatever, and it's not verifiable. However, Elizabeth had the had the forethought to actually email herself these these precognitive dreams and precognitive visions. And so she actually had like a time and date stamp on what she was seeing. And so there are a couple uh, prominent plane crashes, including the famous Sully wreck, 
where where the a plane had to kind of crash land into a river right here in New York City. Um, she foresaw that and emailed it to herself the day before the wreck actually happened. And so there have been researchers um, since that have like looked at her email records and looked at her history and dealing with precognitive experiences. And it, it you know, unlike a lot of situations, there is a there is definitely a track record there. And so um, she she co-wrote a wonderful book called Change in a Flash with Jeff Kripal, which speaks a lot to the validity um, of her case and kind of how serious some people in the community take her experience. Um, and it opens up a lot of questions, you know, like what's a near death experience? Like how, you know, how does our brain chemistry or how do our bodies change when extreme events happen, traumatic events, or even just being having that load of electricity go through you? Does it fundamentally change something about people's perceptions? And there aren't a lot of great answers to these questions yet, but we have to start asking these bigger questions to, to get anywhere in this field, I think. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. And um, Elizabeth's story, similar to others from Leslie Kane's surviving death, and it's not normally a subject or topic I was too interested in because I get a little bit scared of all that kind of stuff. Not that I don't believe sure. it, but, you know, the afterlife and ghosts has always been something since a kid, it's kind of inbuilt to be scared of it. And hearing some of the stories of folks that Leslie's interviewed and, and spoken to of how they've come back from what they've came back from is just incredible. So yeah, that'll be a really interesting one. Uh, next up is it Daniel Ingram. That's right. Dr. Daniel Ingram. Now, Dr. Daniel Ingram, he's an incredible, he's an incredible figure. First of all, he's an MD. He was, he was a trauma physician um, doing emergency medicine um, for many years. Uh, he also has a master's in public health on top of having his MD. Um, he's also now the chief organizer and co-founder of what's called uh, the EPRC, the Emergent Phenomenology Research Consortium. And so he's been getting together with medical professionals and scientists to help um, look at and, and validate situations of the biological effects that happen uh, for experiencers uh, in, within different modalities. And this could be like a situation of a UAP, it could be situations of out-of-body, anything and everything along those lines. And so basically, he's, they're looking at ways that they can kind of uh, help define some of these situations or, or at least, you know, promote dialogue in the, com in the medical community and start to move with the goal of having these, a lot of these biological effects codified into medical language and even be able to make it into medical codes so that they can be officially billed for insurance purposes. And so it's it seems like kind of a strange route to go in some ways. But, you know, many people know about the kind of healthcare emergency that we deal with in, in the United States, where we don't have the kind of nationalized healthcare systems that so many other countries do. And so if if things aren't billable by insurance companies, they're ignored. Essentially, they're they're they they don't exist as as conditions because doctors doctors can't make money from them da, 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 da. you know the the list goes on and on for the reasons why it's necessary for the biological effects that that and there are many experiencers that have that come away with chronic health conditions that seem to have you know differences possibly in their the gray matter in their brains all sorts of situations like this and so daniel's doing really important that work that way also he's he's a prominent figure within 
um, within meditation practice. He's written several books on, he's a practicing Buddhist himself and um, is very well known in that space. And so it'll be great to kind of, to, to have him join, to both be speaking from a, a very grounded medical perspective with regard to, to the effects of experiencers and also looking at it from somebody that, you know, many people in our figure in, in our field might think of as kind of like a woo uh, yeah. category, you know, somebody with meditation uh, background that really is kind of interested in the spiritual space. He marries those two things in a way, in a way that I think is that I and James thinks uh, necessary to kind of bring into the conversation. No, that's a really interesting crossover in terms of just himself. If you've got this range of guests, this is one guest almost with two, you know, really serious medical professional, but has that spiritual side, that connection, meditation and merging those yeah. two together um really I'm, not, cool. I'm not going to lie this next guest jay and i'll give you um a bit of a hint here i would love to speak to her for the podcast it's mr peter lavender uh he is the co-author right. of the secret machine series god's man in war that's someone mm-hmm. uh, I'd, i've i would love to speak to on the podcast you know if only i knew someone who knew him um what's peter going to bring jay to the to the event Oh, Peter is such an amazing figure. I mean, I, I love Peter's work. He's he's so unique in the field. And again, like some of these other folks, he doesn't show up to conferences. He barely mm. he'll barely show up to a podcast. Yeah. And so and so having him actually agree to come up uh, felt like a huge win for James and I. Um, it's a really big deal. It's it's partially because Peter actually grew up in New York City. And so so it was a little bit of a lure to get him back here. Um, but we're so excited. Peter, you know, he he wrote the the these God's Man and War Secret Machines book books with uh, Tom DeLong, of course, and and gods and men have come out and there have been kind of rumblings from Tom and Peter that that war will will be published soon. And um, and so this is going to be a rare situation where maybe we'll be able to hear a little bit of a preview from Peter um, with regard to the kind of topics and maybe maybe some of the work itself that that will come out later uh, in war. We'll see. But, um, you know, he brings such an amazing historical perspective because he he doesn't just look at the field of ufology and anomalous studies in general. But for those that have read the Secret Machines books, uh, you'll know that he has a strong history and and the mystery schools, um, uh, what's what's also what's often thought of as Gnostic thought, and so he he brings a, a kind of interesting marriage of like what have been kind of like the forbidden ideas over many many years, and like how do those complement how do those each other how do those work with each other and and why are people in power so interested in them you know throughout the years and so i think that he'll bring a very unique perspective uh a a unique historical perspective to the situation and again it it may help cross-pollinate with some of these other speakers that may not be used to hearing perspectives like that Absolutely. And I think anyone who works alongside Tom DeLong so closely, it's always nice to hear a little bit about Tom DeLong from other people's perspectives. Jim Semivan recently on the podcast was similar to that. So, um, and coming soon from Tom DeLong with the number of uh, projects he has on his desk, you know, the Blink-182 reunion, uh, the 
tour coming up the monsters in oh, california yeah. potentially coming out soon which how mm-hmm. soon is now to quote a famous morrissey lyric um yeah that's <laughs> that's one i look forward to and uh finally leslie kane we've touched on is going to be hosting that chat with james fox oh absolutely yeah and i like it's such an honor to and such a pleasure to know Leslie and to have her involved, you know, after she came to the first event and just watched, you know, the Gary Nolan conference. And then she played such an integral role in in the second conference um, with it was a fireside chat with Chris, Christopher Mellon that now, you know, it's 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 hard to imagine having an event here without her around. Uh, she's become such a central figure um, to these events and she's such a central figure in kind of um, the social aspects of, of New York and anomalous studies and ufology. Right. So um, yeah. What can I say about her? The show recently surviving death, you know, UFOs investigating the unknown, the, the, the series of, of articles for the New York times. She's, really one of our greatest living figures in the field and for what she's done in terms of, um, of exposing things like a tip, the gimbal go, go fast videos, um, you know, uh, bringing people like Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo and Ryan Graves to the general public at large, you know, it's, it's hard to overstate um, the, what she's really done for the field going all the way back to the Boston Globe and the Cometa Report back in the 90s. Um, so it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to have her there. And it's, it's an amazing thing that, I, that we, get to, we get to learn from Leslie, really. You know, the public that comes to these, um, other speakers, and for James and I, it's, it's a real, real gift to the community for sure. I love okay. Leslie. Just as we start to close out, I want to ask, now, you must have had, yourself and James, private conversations with with past guests at these conferences, and I'm not one that's going to ask you to name names and what was said, but if you're comfortable, feel free to name names, you know, what Chris Mellon may have said, what he thinks is going on, but what, what are those conversations like? And I wonder, from a private point of view, how are those guests giving you an indication how they think things are playing out the ufo conversation you're talking to gary nolan leslie kane ralph blumenthal chris mellon and anyone else at those conferences Mm -hmm. how are you packaging all that together what's being said as to how how things are going for the ufo conversation it's it's an, an incredibly exciting time i mean for from what i know and from what i hear from the people that you just mentioned and others you know it's in organizing these events, you're absolutely right that it's it's really put me and James in a very unique position in terms of the kind of information that we hear. I was used to that to a degree before with the experiencer group and some of the people that that float through that community as well. But it's and it's just taken off um, even more in an expanded way with these conferences. And it's it's impossible to ignore that there are so many groups, individuals, and factions that have so many kind of secret plays happening right now, like towards like what's happening this year, this spring, this summer, this fall. And, you know, from what I hear, you know, if, if any two of these situations go down the way that they're planned, 
it's going to be a real paradigm shift for the public conversation. And there's the possibility for a lot more. So, you know, it's interesting because as opposed to, say, five or 10 years ago, I do understand some of the secrecy from the researcher's perspective, from from the inside of the researcher's perspective, from inside of our community. A lot of people, they get frustrated because online they'll they'll not get an answer from, you know, the Pentagon or something like that, the DOD or whatever. And then they'll go to somebody like Ralph Blumenthal or whatever and, and, and ask him and maybe not and get more of an answer. But, you know, there'll be a point where things start to go vague or where he doesn't want to speak on the record or something like that. And that's completely understandable. The more that, the more that I'm involved in, in with, with these situations and speaking with these people relatively frequently, you know, it's kind of like a football game and you don't ask like a football coach before the Super Bowl, like, so what are the plays that you're going to be doing, you know, in a couple hours here, you know, like, because the other side listens, you know, there are, and there are a lot of people that want to block the progress that's been happening these last five years, you know, five and a half years, almost since uh, the December uh, 2017 New York times article, you know, that was a big game changer. And ever since then it's, it's like we've been playing a different game than before. And a lot of people want to make sure that they keep their plays um, kind of, kind of on, on the quiet, on the DL and until, until some of these situations come to light. Yeah. It's an exciting time though. There, there are whistle, you know, there are people that, that are going to be going public over the course of the next months. There are all sorts of wild situations, possibly in DC, possibly in New York that are going to be coming up. And it's, it's, I, I think that 2023, like no BS, like I, I kind of hate it when people talk like this, but I really think that this is going to be the biggest paradigm shift year since 2017 for this field. If 100%. I if I clip that one part of you saying that and put it online, the hate you would get would be incredible, and you know it too. But I think <laughs> that's without the context right. behind it. Um, but yep. listen, that's a nice place to round off. How can folks Jay get a hold of tickets? Uh, those kind of final tickets remaining. Oh sure, absolutely. So um, tickets are still available. Again, we only have about a handful for in person, and we have a total of five hundred. Um, for for the online live stream version of the conference, those are available at an inquiry twenty twenty three dot rsvpfi dot com, and I'm sure we'll put that in the comments and in the show notes as well. Yeah, again, that's an inquiry twenty twenty three dot rsvpfi dot com, and the name of it is an inquiry into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon. You can also look for it that way. Awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to know how to find me on Twitter or anything like that too? Are you good? Nah, it's not yet. Go for it. Yeah, those, those will be in the description as well. But for those who don't like looking at the show descriptions, on you go. Sure. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to, you'd like to look for more about these events uh, on Twitter or anywhere else, you can search for Inquire Anomalous. That's the name of the conference series. And um, also feel free to look at um, the experiencer group. If you're interested, if you're an experiencer yourself and you'd like to, to find uh, others out there that might've had similar experiences to you, or you'd like to compare notes, uh, the experiencer group, you can find at tegmembers.com. You can find, also find it at forexperiencers.com or at for experiencers on Twitter as well. Well, Jay, best of luck to yourself and James for the third in this series of conferences, which is ongoing. Maybe I'll get to that next one. You never know. And uh, yeah, oh I'll gosh, see folks in the I'll see folks in the live chat on the night. 
Well, it's apps. Thank you, Andy. It's been so great to see you today. And yeah, gosh darn it. We're going to see, I'm going to see you in person one of these days. And it's going to be amazing when I do. Hi, everyone. If you listen to the podcast on an Apple device, you can support directly by going on to Apple Podcasts and clicking the subscribe button. And for less than the price of a coffee per month, you can get early access to episodes, episodes in full, and no adverts or sponsorships like this one you're hearing now. It also supports directly to me at the podcast, so thank you very much. Also, don't forget to go and leave the podcast on Apple a five-star review and make sure you click the follow button too. Thanks. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should see because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think I'd be, I guess you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jake?